This episode of Perhaps It's You is brought to you by Women's Woodshop, a woodshop for women and non-binary folk in South Minneapolis. This community resource is the perfect place to learn skills like spoon carving, bowl turning, and using power tools without the burden of mansplaining. If you've ever had a well-meaning dude take a tool out of your hand while you were trying to learn something, you'll understand why this is important. Learn more about the safe, friendly, and welcoming environment at womanswoodshop.com. Now it's recording. Okay. I don't know what happened there. Okay. We're off to a rocky start. Perhaps it's you! <laughs> Welcome! Hello! To the Perhaps It's You podcast, an unofficial fan rewatch re podcast of the classic television series Unsolved Mysteries, where we struggle to talk to you yep. mm-hmm. about Unsolved Mysteries. It's an unofficial podcast. I'm Samantha. I'm Liz, I guess. And we're here discussing episode 11. Season, season two. two already already you can watch along on amazon prime if you so desire you sure can but you don't have to no most people don't and don't feel obligated <laughs> we don't give you homework on this show no that's not how this works no <laughs> how's it going liz i'm all right you know i'm trying to survive the apocalypse uh, uh yeah how are you about the same yeah I, yep. it's been uh it's, it's been a dark a, week and a in a line of very dark weeks and sure has everyone just Hold on, hold on. Hang in there. I know it's rough. Things have to get better, right? Oh, I I guess. I hope so. Surely. In my most optimistic moments, I tell myself, this is a very transitional time and we'll come out on the other side queerer and freer. Let's hope. Oh, God, I hope so. Let's hope. Uh, do you have any updates? I, I do. Okay. I've Let's got some updates. updates. As you may recall, I felt woefully unprepared to discuss the Just Sweats case. Oh. Which, did I find a sweatshirt from Just Sweats on eBay that I might have to get? Yes, I did. It was an impressive sweatshirt. Some people on our Facebook page were a little squeaked out by it being a used sweatshirt, but come on. Okay. I want those people to take a minute and think about how many mouths a restaurant fork has been in before (laughs) theirs. Oh, I don't want to think about that. I'm going to wash the sweatshirt. These are things you don't want to think about. I'm going to wash the sweatshirt. Oh, Liz, there's certain (laughs) things we just, we know, but we don't want to think about. Well, I'm just saying. How many butts have sat on the toilet you're on? Yeah. Things you know, but you don't want to think about. So it's really not that gross to wear a used sweatshirt. I guess not if you put it that way. (laughs) It's not. If you, even if you buy new clothes in the store, probably 50 people have tried that on before you. That's true. That's a good point. Were they sweating in it? Maybe, if it was hot out. I guess. <laughs> so that's my defense. But do I wear a lot of thrift store clothing? So I can't really be skeeved out sure. about this. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I'm over it. Uh, you actually found a lot of information about the Just also, Sweats. Also, more importantly than finding the sweatshirt that I should probably get, uh, I did get my book, Insured for Murder. That came in the mail. Oh, nice. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. It just came. It looks pretty cheesy <laughs> it does actually uh i'm gonna read it because i care about this goddamn podcast and i care <laughs> about you five listeners i'm at least gonna give it a hard skim <laughs> that's all we ask but oof, i don't like that so much of this is dialogue oh really because these people weren't there yeah, I was just about to, is this recorded somehow i don't think so I think they're just, like, approximating 
I don't like that. What may have been said. I don't like that at all. So <laughs> I'll give a full report on that when I'm done with it. All right. In the meantime, I found a very helpful timeline of the case over at truecrimeturrent.com called Fraud Murder Bike Shorts Adjust Sweats <laughs> Timeline. This is incredibly helpful and it fills in the gaps that neither Unsolved Mysteries nor Forensic Files filled in. I really like that they refer to it as the Just Sweats <laughs> I mean, murder. That's what I think of it as. Oh, yeah. Because it's just catchy. I don't know. It sticks in your mind that people had a successful sweats clothing store. I had somehow... no idea how many stores they had. They had 22 stores. That's crazy. Mostly I pictured, in Ohio. Because this was like a sham business, right? I pictured like one storefront. It was storefront. not a sham the way that I thought it was. Oh, okay. So, I'll, okay. So, let's, let's start off here. In 1970, Dr. Boggs was a respected neurologist, and he started his own healthcare system called Satellite Health Systems. By 76, it has grown, but fails, it says, grown spectacularly, but fails to make a profit. Dr. Boggs has millions in debt. By 77, he's declared bankruptcy. Millions in debt, holy shit. Yeah. Friends say he's never the same. Okay. You might not be. The following year, his wife of 20 years leaves him. He's then taken to court in 81 for his unpaid child support. From 81 to 88, he, despite this, continues to spend lavishly, including buying a Rolls Royce. The Rolls Royces, come on. I just, it's not even an important detail, but it just, like, keeps coming up in this show, so. (laughs) I, like, look, if you Did he also have six boats? Yeah. Probably. Probably. Did he have 80 Rolls Royces? No, he had one. But does anyone need one? That's too many Rolls Royces when you're millions of dollars in debt. Also... Well, I think that got cleared by his bankruptcy, but he was, he did have 33000 in unpaid child support and okay. yet buys a Rolls Royce. <laughs> so that's not great. He is accused of performing unnecessary surgeries on patients. Oh my God. Medical organizations expel him. Oh, but he was, this was the respected doctor, right? Yes. At some point in the 80s, he meets two Just Sweats entrepreneurs from Ohio. And it's described as sexy high school dropout John Hawkins <laughs> and middle-aged former shoe store buyer Melvin Eugene Hansen. Hansen becomes Dr. Boggs' patient. So we had wondered how Dr. Boggs got roped into this scam. Somehow in meeting them and Hansen becoming his patient, that's how they knew him. Okay. I don't know. I would like a little more info on that. Maybe that's in this terrible looking book. In 1985, Hawkins and Hansen opened their first Just Sweat store in Columbus, Ohio. It carries a large inventory of colorful exercise clothing. The store is a huge success. <laughs> in 1986, by 1986, they've opened a total of 22 stores in Ohio and Kentucky. They offer deals such as Lycra Bite Shorts for $4.99. $4.99? Great deal. Yeah. No wonder they were so successful. Uh, and they become household names across... Ohio due to their many TV commercials. But Hawkins and Haskins begin mismanaging the business. They start selling off the store's assets for cash. So it's not set up as a scam so much as they run it inappropriately. Okay, gotcha. At some point, the two men begin plotting a crime to get out of the financial hellhole Just Sweats has become. Hansen starts applying for life insurance. He immediately obtains three policies totaling one and a half million and names Hawkins sole beneficiary. The plan is to fake Hawkins' death and get their hands on their insurance money. They invite Dr. Boggs in on his plan. His assignment is to procure a body to pass off as his Hansen's. 
at this point, the business looks successful, but is not. And they're hiding their financial problems. Uh, lots of companies are interested in investing in Just Sweats, but investors would require to see an audit, which they can't allow because... That would raise some red flags. Yes, because they've actually been selling off all the assets. Just Sweats is sinking fast. Hawkins and Hack... Hansen gets serious about an illicit plan for a way out. Hansen starts telling people that he has A's and is dying. Oh, okay. Neither claim is true. Hansen is setting up a story for his death. Well, yeah, we know. In April 9th of 1988, Dr. Box makes his first attempt at acquiring a dead body. And that was the person who... Got tased. Got tased and got away. What's an interesting note that, at least according to this, he picked him up in a bar called the spike and invited him to his office for an ekg what is that code for something <laughs> i don't know we were assuming that he like went back to the office to have sex with him but it's maybe he just offered him free medical procedures <laughs> you know that's almost more, like, at least today more enticing might, might sure. be, wait, yeah. it's like oh wait you could do that for free hubba hubba anyway the district attorney declined to press charges, and at least one source says authorities dismissed the incident as a lover's bet. Also, Dr. Boggs remains some remnants of his former success. A detective who hears the claim says that Dr. Boggs has an excellent reputation. Uh, not true. Not really. He's been performing unnecessary surgeries and has been kicked out of all these medical organizations, and I don't understand why he still has a medical license. Okay. April 15th, 1988. Dr. Boggs goes back to the bar... And that's when he picks up Ellis Green. This says possibly Hansen is there as well. Mm, okay. That's unknown. Whether or not it was Dr. Box by himself or Dr. Box and Hansen take Ellis Green back to the thing and kill him. Um, then, right, Ellis Green is murdered. I've read a few different sources saying he was either suffocated or drugged or... I don't think they really know. Yeah, he was cremated too fast, right? Yeah, they didn't I don't. complete the autopsy. This is claiming that he was suffocated, I think. But I, I don't think we really know. Okay, so we know that part. By July 1988, the Farmer's Life World Life Insurance sends Hawkins a check for $1 million. Then they figure out that that's not really his body. Yes, they decided to check after the fact. After the fact. <laughs> Why? Uh, some questions just can't be answered. They are unsolved mysteries. At this point, Hawken panics. He withdraws $400,000 from the Just Sweats accounts and flees to Amsterdam. He buys a boat so he can travel freely. I thought he split with the insurance money. Oh, okay. But it sounds like he just went around, cashed out all the Just Sweats accounts. Hansen also abandons Just Sweats. They just are like gone one day. <laughs> Like, the stores are just shuttered, I guess. And Hawkins is already out of the country with his 40 grand. That's when... And then Hansen gets a lot of plastic surgery. Oh. Okay. To, to try to change his identity. So that's when he, in 1989, comes into the Dallas airport and is busted by customs. Oh. So he gets busted at the airport, claiming to be Wolfgang von Snowden. <laughs> Um, but he has Alice Green's driver's license. He's also carrying a library book called How to Change Your Identity. <laughs> what? Again. 
If you're gonna pick a fake name, Wolfgang. Don't, don't pick Wolfgang I'm von Snowden. Von Snowden, <laughs> sir. What are you reading? <laughs> Is that a book called How to Change Your Identity. All right. Oh so that's God. when. Uh, Hansen is taken into custody. <laughs> Hansen claims he paid Boggs 50 grand to supply a corpse, but had nothing to do with the murder of Ellis Green. Okay. Well, you have something to do with the murder if you're paying someone for a dead body. He thought it would be someone that was already dead. Oh. Supposedly. Like a John Doe. Okay. But there's no way to prove that one way. I no. My thinking is he probably just didn't really care. I don't think so. But anyway. Dr. Boggs claims he didn't kill Green. He was already dead. No, Dr. Boggs. That is not true. <laughs> he also said that he only took part in the insurance fraud scheme because Hansen threatened to out him as gay. Maybe. Maybe he paid you 50 grand. <laughs> Either way. Either way. You, you participated. You it. I, I mean, he don't out people. But other than that, I, I don't know what to say about that murderer, Dr. Boggs. Okay, so then... By 1990, John Hawkins is still missing. America's Most Wanted airs that segment. By 95, Gene Hansen goes to trial. He maintains that he thought Dr. Boggs was going to use a cadaver, not murder someone. Doesn't matter. The jury convicts him of murder and insurance fraud. By 95, it's Hawkins' turn to go to trial. He's picked up after the America's Most Wanted. He was in Italy. He spent like three years just like being a playboy and like living off a sailboat. Just, just living off his Just Sweats money and whining and dining ladies. Um, so it's his turn to go to trial. Like Hansen, he claims that Dr. Boss was supposed to use a cadaver. The state drops the murder charges against Hawkins and Hawkins is found guilty of only insurance fraud. So Hansen got life in prison without the possibility of parole I think so did Dr. Boggs. Dr. Boggs died in prison in 2003 at the age of 69. Hawkins won early release from the Donovan prison in San Diego in part because he participated in convicts reaching out to people, a program that helps teens stay out of trouble. So he is now out and lives in San Diego. And Hansen remains in a men's prison in San Lupus. Interesting. There's so much more to that case than what was shown on Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, they did not really do a good job of connecting all the dots. No, they left... So, it's almost like they told a different story in Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, I felt bad that... I was like, oh, I really should have had this information last week. And then I was like, but also Unsolved Mysteries should have had it. You know what I mean? <laughs> they should have presented like, it. This is a show about Unsolved Mysteries, and I watched Unsolved Mysteries, <laughs> and then I also watched another show about the same case. And it still didn't really fill in the gaps of all of, like, how do no. these people know each other? What yeah. happened to them? Blah, blah, blah. Where did they get all this money? What was this Just Sweats company? Yeah. I'll see if this book has anything that's actually interesting beyond that. But that sort of gives you the timeline. I think it's, thank you to them for breaking that down. It's extremely helpful. Yeah. That is posted if you want to read it on our Facebook page and our Twitter account. Yeah. Uh, go check it out. It seems like a very good, the title alone. I mean, come on. Fraud. Murder. Bike shorts. <laughs> Just great. It's great. I love and it. And I wish I could go get some bike shorts for four ninety nine. Uh yeah. Just sweats. Why did you have to ruin something that was so good? Why? Why? Why just sweats? I would go shop there right now. Same. Same. Sometimes you just need some sweatpants and there's not a store just dedicated to sweatpants. 
Yeah. You have to go to Target and look for them. Yeah, and then it depends, like, if they're in style or not. Yeah. What You get some fancy sweatpants that are, like, supposed to look sexy, and I'm just like, no, I want the ones where you eat cheesies <laughs> on the couch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that Those was the ones thing are hard about to the find. 80s, is that you could just go to, like, Kmart, and they would have a wall that was, like, sweats in every color and every size. That, you can't find that now. No. I and I sort of, at some point, was like, I bet they still have that at Kmart. They don't. Because <laughs> I was trying to make a Care Bear costume, and I was like, you know what I really need is... Some pink sweatpants just, or whatever? Yeah, like pink sweatpants, pink sweatshirt. Can't find it. No. Yeah, it's a damn shame. That's how this country's really gone wrong. <laughs> like, sometimes you just need normal, boring clothes. <laughs> Which, you know where is a great place to get that, though? The thrift store. True. Though someone's worn it before you, I'll warn you. <laughs> True. <laughs> just wash it, you'll be fine. Yeah, just wash it on hot. You're, you're good. So I, I have another update, which oh, okay. is really just to thank someone for sending us <gasps> some cheesies. I mentioned cheesies for a reason, because we've been restocked on cheesies. Christy, oh, our friend you. in Canada. Is there anything I wanted more today? No. Cheesies. These cheesies, I didn't even know these were coming. They showed up on my doorstep. Surprise cheesies are the best cheesies. The box said, what's inside? Question mark. Five out of five Robert Stacks. And I opened it and it was full of cheesies. <laughs> it was the best surprise ever. I couldn't believe it. Thank you so much. Christy, also known as Gary on Instagram. You're the best. Maybe our favorite of our five listeners. I mean, it, there's an easy way to our hearts and that's food. Yes. Yes. If anybody has a wine recommendation that goes with cheesies, keeping in mind that I don't spend more than $10 on wine. We need a good wine pairing with our cheesies. We would like a wine pairing for our cheesies for when I'm sitting on the couch, not getting up, going, huh, I should have gone to bed two hours ago. Drinking my wine, eating my cheesies. What wine? Should if it that could be? be possible for us to want to live in Canada more, they have yeah. cheesies. Do you think we should just swim there? We should try. I'm a pretty bad swimmer, but I wouldn't make it. But maybe, the cheesies at the end. Maybe we can get a canoe. That we could canoe to Canada. Maybe. Okay. Is your upper body strength better than mine? No, I'm oh, sure it's not. We're screwed. <laughs> I guess we'll just have to rely on our friends. To send us, yeah. send us cheesies. Thank you so much. And also, thank you to Studio Crafty is the Instagram account. Oh, my I honestly God. forgot your name in real life. I know you had a different account at one point. I'm pretty sure you're in our Facebook group, and I'm sorry. I can't remember. remember. But this person crocheted us a porpoise of justice. I Oh, my God, cry. you guys. It should be on its way to us right now. I'm so I excited. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. It's this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. It's completely fucking adorable it's a little porpoise wearing a tiny police hat and it's she crocheted it so fast this, yeah i don't understand when did it, we see this on friday i don't or yeah. saturday and the episode came out on wednesday you should go check out what the, a wizard yeah her instagram account because she has t- makes tons of stuff and it seems like she has a pretty successful youtube if you crochet she has a patreon and i'm sorry i don't remember it off the top of my head but studio crafty crafty with an i we can post um, a link to it yeah we'll post a link to it you can also see it on our instagram page because i, I reposted the picture of the porpoise of justice she does uh <laughs> every time you say that <laughs> i just want to fall over <laughs> the porpoise of justice she does like tutorials and you can get patterns and stuff if you subscribe to her patreon so if you're you should probably tell her how much you would love to buy a pattern of the porpoise of justice that could sell out that could be a big seller <laughs> sure. i'm telling you that Where people are hat. like what? it's so it's the cutest thing i've cute. ever seen in my life 
We will put it in the shrine. I can't wait. With Bumpy the Kid and our other mementos. Yeah. It's you guys, it's the best. We have the best listeners. I can't believe I it. I know. They're so nice. I can't believe I said something as dumb as the porpoise of justice. And <laughs> we then were, people were three so days board. later, someone's crocheting it. It's amazing. I can't believe it. <laughs> You're like, you know what's a great idea? The porpoise of justice. <laughs> so you guys are the best. Do we have any other um, announcements? You saw the stickers. We've posted them. Yes. On They're going out this week. Our social media. All Patreons, any level. You're getting some stickers in the mail. Look. Keep your eye out for a purple envelope. At but present, you subscribe to our Patreon at any level. $1, $5, $10. A million dollars. Guess what? You'll get some stickers. <laughs> Someone wants to subscribe for a million dollars. That'd be great. I wonder, you know, one of my favorite podcasts is Muller She Wrote. I think I've recommended them sure. before. And they have, like, calculated how many Patreon subscribers they need to quit their day jobs. And it's, like, 9,000 or something. Yeah, it's going to be a lot. So, yeah. But if we got one $1 million Patreon oh, subscriber, sure. that would be great. Yeah. So, but, millionaires. But you don't have to give that much. You can give $1 and you will get one bonus episode a month. Yes. This month, it's going to be Beyond, Beyond belief. belief. Fact or fiction. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get if you subscribe to our Patreon. You also get a personalized postcard, and you get a little sheet of stickers. Yeah. So go subscribe. If you're already subscribed, you're going to get those in the mail. I'm looking at the stack of envelopes right now. I just need to seal them. Yep. They're ready to go. Send them to the post office. Yeah. Uh, is that it? Should I we jump into it? these we mysteries? We about episode 11. Yep. This is an interesting episode. This is a solid true crime episode. We only have true crime cases this time. And we have four cases. The magic number of mysteries. Mm-hmm. And there is not a paranormal one. There is not a treasure. There's just crime, really. Just crime. Yep. Uh, and our first one starts with this real cheesy Furniture USA commercial. Yeah, I loved I loved that they included this commercial. Why it, didn't they include the Just Sweats commercial? I don't know, I don't know and that, I'll never get over that it. That made me think of this, actually. And weirdly, this this guy's tagline of buy kids? Yeah. Did you understand what that meant? Well, he starts off the commercial with like, hey, kids, want some furniture? Come down to my shitty warehouse. Oh, and then I missed the, that part. And then at the end of the commercial, he would like wave and go, bye, kids. And like, that's what people remembered. Okay. You know how like there's local commercials you see all the time? And yes. That is I true. don't know what the Minnesota example of that is. I don't is. know because I don't often watch like regular TV, but I will say that I saw one that had with, like a guy in a duck costume. It was for decks. And like the joke was that he was the deck duck or something. Okay. Or instead of like they had deck in their name and he was a duck because deck sounds sure. like duck. Yeah. You know what I'm, I get it. The, you I know the like, type of commercial I'm talking about. But I was like, we were wa- Travis and I were watching, and we were like, well, this is why we only watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't get those things anymore. No. You, yeah, because I don't really watch regular TV ever. In the Chicagoland area growing up, there were always these commercials. It was, the, well, commercial, because they used the same one from the 70s up until like a couple years ago for Victory Auto Wreckers, <laughs> which was a place that would give you like $20 for your junker car. But it was just hilarious that they never, ever updated their ad, and it seemed to be <laughs> on every single commercial break. And I feel like that's just such an institution of Chicago life that my husband has not one, but two Victory Auto Wreckers t-shirts. <laughs> it's just like an unescapable. And there were these weird commercials for insurance that had like an eagle. That sounds kind okay. of like your duck situation. Probably. You guys, go to our Facebook group 
and post your local commercials. I want to see them. And if you're in Minnesota, post them too, because I'm sure I'll remember them when I see them, but I just can't think of any off the top of my head because it's been so long since I've watched regular TV. Yeah. Post your local funny commercials. That commercial that like everybody knows the jingle for in your area. Yes. It was someone filmed it on like a tiny little camera. And then they just like, well, we'll just run that till the end of time. Never, (laughs) never update that commercial where a guy goes up tries to open his car door and the car door just fell, falls off and almost hits him in the junk <laughs> and then no one was like yeah let's film that again and I was like nope nope it's good done it's good <laughs> give us your car for victory auto records oh my god that's hilarious so this first mystery is a fraud and we see edward matrice barbara who was born in the 1930s and obtained an eighth grade education in Brooklyn. His father died when he was young. Ed moved to California and started working as a television repairman. By age 26, he was a millionaire with his furniture stores located in Long Beach, California, known as Edwards Furniture, which is the commercial we see at the beginning of the segment. Hi, kids. In 1984, he started prospecting for gold. As you do. It's you like know. a pretty natural career transition. Start out repairing TVs, then, you know, move on like, to furniture selling. Yeah, I probably and sell some not very attractive couches. And then you're like, you know what I want? Gold. Gold. Exactly. It's so much gold. In 1986, he purchased a gold mine in New Mexico. Barbara's company also planned to manufacture automatic sofa beds and produce an internationally syndicated television series about bingo. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. This kind of career diversity in my life, though. A gold mine, uh, manufacturing automatic sofa beds, which, what is an automatic sofa bed? I assume there's like a button that turns the sofa into a bed so you don't have to pull it out yourself. That is actually brilliant. Because <laughs> pulling out a sofa bed is the worst thing ever. I think if you always pinch your fingers, it's you can probably, never... Yeah, that's what I would assume based on that. I have that's, no idea. That's, you know, not a bad idea. Out of all of his his schemes, that one's not bad. If someone uh, wants to hook us up with some automatic sofa beds, <laughs> please do. Oh my God, sleeping on those sofa beds? They're just like all springs. Yeah, there's always that bar that's like right in the middle of yep, your back. Yep. Somehow stuff like that doesn't bother you when you're young. and the, Just the thought of it right now makes me ache. <laughs> You're like, I'm tired. Oh my god, that sounds terrible. (laughs) So he sold stocks to various individuals and businesses. Ed became an influential man in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Oh, that makes perfect sense to me, actually. (laughs) Uh, He told investigators that he would be able to find $93 million worth of gold from the dirt in the mine. People of Las Cruces, New Mexico, are the nicest people in the whole world, possibly even nicer than the people of Minneapolis, which... That's I, saying something. That's really, really saying something. And they're just way too trusting. Yeah. They just don't believe that someone would try to con them because they're good people. So why would anyone else not be... It's just... I don't know. Yeah, got to be a little skeptical because he was claiming that he was using a special technique. Yeah, to get gold. To get gold out of literal dirt. Yes. He claimed that he would share his wealth with investors in his holding company, Dynapack. Which sounds like the most evil corporation ever. It sure does. Dynapack? That their headquarters is in the middle of a volcano or is under (laughs) the sea. That is not a legitimate sounding business. No, it's not. One shareholder was prominent San Francisco attorney Melvin Belly. 
<laughs> that is his name. I'm sorry. Melvin Belly. Why does that strike me as so funny? I mean, it is kind of funny. I'm sorry, Melvin. Sci- um, Belly signed a positive <laughs> testimony that helped recruit even more investors. <laughs> Liz is just silent laughing. I'm the church giggles now. Can't stop. Within months, Dynapack's value doubled and then quadrupled. At one time, Barbara was worth over $136 million. During this time, one investor, Rudy Guyo, wanted to cash out some of her Ruby, not Rudy. It was a woman named Ruby. She wanted to cash out some of her shares. However, he promised that he would return all of the money she invested if something went wrong. The Security Exchange Commission became suspicious of Dynapack's meteor... What did Robert Sack call this? Meteoric rise, mm. which I thought was a good way to describe it. They suspended trading pending an investigation. The company's value immediately plummeted, so Barbara invited financial analysts to New Mexico so they so that they could see the operation firsthand, which this whole thing is hilarious. I loved this reenactment. I hope it was very accurate because it was so... I think it was because they showed actual pictures. Oh, really? And it looked exactly like what they were doing it's in the reenactment. It's just like dirt falling off a conveyor belt and he's like this is where we get the gold and this yes. is where we grow. he talks about growing gold that should have been a red flag it really should have so the attorney general which i said mvm question mark he had a pretty nice mustache although it's been a week since i watched this episode and i don't exactly remember what it looked like oh but in my i notes, have someone else i did i did mention his mustache anyway he said that uh did it look like this was it Michael it did, Fandango? It did not, but I think I remember that mustache. It's weirdly thin in the middle. It's like those helicopter seed pods. That's exactly what it looks like. I called this one the big brother. He was someone's brother. I don't know. Okay. I love your names for the mustaches. <laughs> I don't know when that started. I think it started with the walrus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, so the attorney general said that Ed impressed them by inviting them out to his big mine and giving them red hats that said uh, VIP. This is such Donald Trump bullshit. They were hard hats and they said VIP and it really made these people feel important. That that would impress someone and convince them that you're finding gold and literal dirt. You just have to have some dirt and give people a hard hat and they think you're legit. And then he would pose them for pictures holding what was supposed to be a gold pyramid. That was hilarious. Yeah. So he appeared to be operating a gold mine. He would also do this theatrical display of having two guys in fire protective suits pour molten liquid into a mold, making a pyramid of solid gold. I'm doing air quotes around pyramid of solid gold because of course it was not. And yeah, he had, he made a big show of inviting a police officer. And so the police officer had to be there because he had so much gold in this pyramid. And then each investor would come up and the police officer would hold one half of the pyramid. The, per- the investor would hold the other and they would do a photo op. How could that not make you suspicious? Like, it's so theatrical to me. Because these people are just money hungry. Yeah. Tell them they get to pose. If you told Donald Trump he could get to pose with <laughs> a pyramid of solid gold, or the man is an like, evil villain. Where he's touching that glowing yes. orb? It <laughs> reminds me like of that. that. It would be just like that. Oh. Yeah. Of course these people were wanting to pose with a pyramid of solid gold. I do believe this furniture salesman with an eighth grade education has found a way to get gold out of dirt that no one's figured out before 
because my hat says <laughs> VIP on it, and I'm very, very smart. Yes, exactly. Although, have you ever watched any of those, like, gold shows on the National Geographic? I think no. it's either Discovery Channel or National Geographic. There's one where they literally vacuum silt, like, out of the bottom of the ocean and, like, sift through it for gold. You don't conf- But it's like gold dust. It's not like this guy made it sound like he was getting gold bricks out of this dirt. <laughs> you know what's more valuable than gold? A lot of things. But what comes to mind is beef jerky. <laughs> jerky costs more by the pound than gold does. So it just seems like a lot of effort to get it from the bottom of the ocean floor. <laughs> Yeah, and these rigs that these people use do not look super safe. They literally wear, like, the old-timey... You know when you, like, Google first scuba divers and they're wearing that, like, bubble, like, metal hat thing? With a tube and they're walking on the ocean floor? that's, like, what these people wear. Yeah, that seems like a lot of effort for dust. I mean, they must be making something off of it. I don't know. All right. Anyway, uh, just invest in beef jerky. (laughs) Look... It's very expensive if you think about it. That's true. Beef jerky is ridiculously expensive. <laughs> now that I think about it. By the weight? Yeah. Yeah. It really worth is. way more than gold. <laughs> Stupid old gold. So on March 24, 1985, the SEC allowed Dynapack back on the stock exchange. I guess this impressed someone. <laughs> and they decided he was legit. I like that we're supposed to like have faith in like CEOs and shareholders and what you know. It's like, oh no, financial people know what they're talking. No, they don't. <laughs> no, they absolutely do this not. Is proof of that. What? They're like, yeah, this seems legit. I held a pyramid of gold. <laughs> <laughs> what? So, however, some were not convinced that Ed's operation was legitimate. Yeah. He was. So what was not known was that the pyramid shown to the analyst was actually 99% copper. During this time, an investigation began headed by the New Mexico Bureau of Mines and Mineral Resources. They found irregularities in Barbara's mining. They suspected a scam was occurring. Huh. Turns out he wasn't actually mining. He was just like digging around. He was just moving dirt from one <laughs> side of a thing to another. In 1986, Barbara hired geologists... David Fingado to confirm his extravagant production figures. David, however, could not find much of any gold at the site. He was certain that a scam was occurring. Which is hilarious that this geologist that was hired by Ed is yeah. like, yeah, I can't find gold here. I don't understand that at all. Why did he hire a geologist? Didn't he know the geologist would go, this is just dirt? I assume he like thought because he was paying this guy that maybe he would say whatever he wanted him to say. He tried to bribe and then, him and the geologist was like, no, yeah, no my I have honor as, as a geologist is on the line. Exactly. You can't buy it. Yes, exactly. Oh, was that the guy that had like a Whisker Wars yes. worthy beard? Oh my god, yes, because he that was a Whisker Wars, Wars worthy beard. Okay. It was I, like a mountain man beard. The big brother mustache is the brother of the geologist. Oh, okay. Impressive facial hair in that family. Because I was like, wait, whose brother? Because of course I wrote this a week ago and now I don't remember. I know. I've already forgotten like all of this <laughs> episode. But that's whose brother it is. The guy with the beard. Okay, I gotcha. I'm starting to remember. So David quit and was thrown off the premises by Barbara, which is hilarious. Like, he quit, and Barbara was like, I'm kicking you out of here. Get out of here. like, I'm on my way out, dude. Before I hit you with the copper pyramid. (laughs) 
David was concerned about his safety and the safety of his family. However, the authorities did not take him seriously. David went to the national news to expose Barbara's scam. Barbara, however, claimed that he was lying. Five days after the interview and two days before the segment was to air, David Fingato died in a car accident. Although the circumstances of the crash were suspicious, his death was ruled accidental. Hmm... Yeah, it's really unfortunate. A few weeks after the interview, Barbara disappeared with investors' money and started a furniture business in Canada. From there, Ed allegedly took customers' money and came back to the U.S. and was (laughs) caught in Lebanon, Oregon in 1987. From there, he was extradited back to New Mexico. In July 1988, he was convicted of fraud and racketeering. Because of his influence in New Mexico, the authorities let Barbara out, um, thus allowing him to go on the run again. So this is where Unsolved Mysteries comes in. They're trying to find this guy. And the result is that it's solved. Police found Barbara had moved to Florida and was selling credit cards. However, he succumbed (laughs) to cancer in 1990 and died without ever being arrested. Wow. That guy just had scams for blood. He really did. Yeah. Could not stop scamming people. I know. I'm surprised he didn't live in Medford. Yeah, that was his true mistake. Yeah. Although, I mean, he really did get away with it. Yeah, he did. For the most part. So, That's a shame uh, about the geologist. Be a little skeptical when someone tells you this is a pyramid of solid gold. I can't imagine not being skeptical of that, but <laughs> I, you know, I'm not. Uh, I am sympathetic to the people who are duped out of their money, and that's very unfortunate. Yeah, it was. So uh, yeah, guys, invest in beef jerky. I guess this is the moral of the story. <laughs> invest in beef jerky. Is that even possible? I don't know. I don't know. I, like some the sort of markup on beef jerky has to be ridiculous, though. Because if you just buy beef, it's not that much. But somehow, when it's in jerky form, it's like freaking forty dollars. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Why care about gold? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, anyway, your turn. So, I have an unexplained death. This is a case where, um. I'm going to have to say allegedly a lot. (laughs) Yeah? Because I am 99.9999999% sure that I know who did this. And so does pretty much every commenter on (laughs) Unsolved.com. However... We'll just direct you to Unsolved.com for some speculation. That person has not been convicted of any crime, and it would be irresponsible for me to say that they did it. So exactly, and we are nothing if not responsible. <laughs> we on are this podcast. telling you how to invest your money. <laughs> we are not going to besmirch someone's the character. Character of someone who is allegedly a cold-blooded alleged murderer. <laughs> okay, yes, exactly. So let's go to Roanoke, Virginia, a place that only has positive associations. <laughs> February 4th, 1986. This is the death of Ray Ann Moser. It was in the evening. She was 21. She went to an ex-boyfriend's house and supposedly tried to reconnect with him. Whose account do we have for that? Only his. Yep. Then they had a fight and she supposedly stormed out of the house saying, what do I have to do to prove my love to you? Kill myself. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was the next thing that happened. The door closes. Mm -hmm. There is a shotgun blast. The ex-boyfriend does not go to the door. He does not look out the window. He does not call the police. Uh Uh-huh. As you do. 
Supposedly, three witnesses confirm that they overheard her saying she would kill herself. These witnesses are not identified. I assume they are related to the ex-boyfriend. That is an assumption on my part. Because we never hear from them. We never hear from them at all. And it, there's really only one mention of them. This yep. entire that was, segment. That was the mention. That was it. That was it. Three so, people. Three people overheard her say, I'm going to kill myself. Yep. Um, before she stormed out of the house, there was immediately a shotgun blast. And no one, none of those witnesses went to go see anything about it. Nope. Okay. So the police arrive at the scene just before 8 p.m., and they find her dead with one shotgun wound to the chest. The shotgun, is it right beside her body? Did it fall on the ground? No. It is lying on the trunk of her ex-boyfriend's car. Makes sense. Uh-huh. They found no evidence of foul play and ruled her death a suicide. Huh. Yeah. Puzzling. I it mean, is very puzzling. She was dead next to a gun. She was dead next to a gun, and she supposedly yelled very loudly so that people could overhear her. Uh, What do I have to do to prove my love to you? Kill myself? Leave, leave. Shotgun blast? Uh Uh-huh. Makes total sense. Okay. Case closed. Rayanne was a waitress who lived with her parents. She had recently taken a test to enlist in the Navy, where she hoped to study radiology. Her parents did not believe that she would commit suicide because she was looking forward to doing that. When looking at the police reports, they found the evidence... That disputed the official ruling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mainly that she couldn't possibly reach the trigger. Yeah, it's a shotgun. Yeah, I mean, imagine how you would have to hold a shotgun to kill yourself. They do a reenactment with a woman holding... It was tr- her mom, who was a similar height. Attempting to reach a shotgun trigger while also pointing it at your body, and you physically cannot you do it. cannot reach People on Unsolved.com saying that she could have used a stick. I'm going to find that stick and I'm going to hit you with it. (laughs) That is not what happened. What? The only thing I could think of is that if she laid the shotgun on the hood of the car and positioned herself in front of it and kind of reached around. But even then, I can't really fathom why you would do it that way. Why you wouldn't sit on the ground and use your foot, first of all. Yeah. Which there is a forensic files about that, where a guy was almost convicted of murdering his girlfriend, but it turns out she was sitting on the floor, and that's how she was able to. Yeah, because then you could you could rest it the butt of the gun on the ground and use your toe because you could probably reach it that way. That's not what she she could not have done that because the shotgun was on the car and she was on the ground. So this makes very little sense. There's really no evidence that she used it at all. No, no. Um, when looking at the police reports, her parents found evidence that disputed that ruling. Rayanne's car was parked directly across the street from where she had died. The driver's door was wide open. Music was blaring from the car stereo, and her keys were still in the ignition. It appeared she had left her car in a hurry. Mm-hmm. 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 Her parents believed that if she shot herself with a shotgun, it would have fallen next to her body instead of the car trunk. Probably. Uh-huh. I Her parents are very, very reasonable people. Rianne's arm, as Samantha mentioned, measured 29 inches. However, the distance from the trigger to the muzzle was 36 and a half inches. <laughs> Her parents did a broomstick, did a task with a broomstick in place of a gun. Rianne's mother, whose arm length was about the same, was unable to reach. At the, on the night of her shooting, her parents were told that an autopsy would be performed soon. However, two weeks later, they discovered that an autopsy had never taken place. 
In fact, it was never requested. This is so infuriating. They requested for the body to be exhumed and for an autopsy to finally be done. Yeah. I really appreciate, you hear a lot from her mother in this segment, and she's very calm and very forceful, and I just fucking... I would be tearing the house down, smashing people's windows. She's just like, no, I'm not going to let this go. And she's not acting like a grieving, screaming banshee like I would be. She's She's just like completely reasonable. She's like, no, you're going to exhume the body and you're going to do an autopsy like you said you would. Exactly. Hmm, You can't really argue with that. Not really. According to the autopsy, Rayanne was killed by a contact wound to the chest. This meant that the muzzle of the gun was touching her skin. Powder burns were found on her left wrist. The medical examiner still ruled that it was a suicide. Rayan's parents, again, no. Right. They don't accept that because they're reasonable. So they contacted a doctor, John Butts. All right, that's just his name. The chief (laughs) medical examiner for the state of North Carolina. His conclusions were much different than the original medical examiners. He determined that the muzzle of the weapon was actually several feet from the body at the time of the shooting. The powder burns on the hand suggest to him that she tried to grab the muzzle of the gun to protect herself. The original medical examiner decided to change the cause of death from suicide to pending. At that point... Her mom appears in front of a grand jury and tries to get an inquiry into Rand's death, which is literally not being investigated. Right. However, they can only change the ruling if there is a suspect. So the the inquiry request was denied. I have a suspect. (laughs) I don't understand this at all. I don't understand. So the police have to identify a suspect? She's bringing it in front of the grand jury, which is something I didn't even know you could do. As yeah. like a civilian, yeah, I've never. Heard who has that. to have? Who has to come up with a suspect? There, I don't know. There, there could be a suspect. There could just, be a suspect. We just have to say it. This is what I wrote down, and it's not based on anything. But I wrote: Is the boyfriend related to the governor or something? <laughs> what is happening? I don't understand. They literally seem to just take his word for it. They're like, "Why didn't you?" open the door when you heard a gunshot and he was like oh i wasn't gonna go out there if there was guns going off i was scared for my life which fair enough but your girlfriend or your ex-girlfriend just said she was gonna kill herself maybe call the police or do something yeah do something so at the very least this guy so yeah the inquiry the inquiry request was denied undeterred her parents contacted one of the country's top forensic scientists After examining the evidence, he felt the police had bungled the case. Huh. Ruling suicide much too quickly. He showed that it would have been impossible for her to use the gun herself. Despite that testimony, a request for a new investigation was still denied. I don't understand. So they contacted a ballistics expert, who also testified that there is no way she could have accidentally shot, shot herself by dropping the gun on the ground, which was another theory. No, that didn't happen. Uh, they tested it to see if that type of gun could accidentally fire if you dropped it, and it didn't. So, uh, almost three years after her death, the cause of death was changed from suicide to undetermined. However, to this day, the case remains unsolved, and no investigation has been completed. All the Unsolved Mysteries wiki says is that Rayanne's boyfriend has long been considered a possible suspect in the case. Long-term speculation is that he may be a police informant being sheltered by the police, but this is unconfirmed. Sadly, Rayanne's mother passed away in 2015 without any new evidence being found. 
Her father, siblings, and all the relatives are still searching for the truth. <sighs> I have chills right now because it's so sad and it's such an injustice and... That no investigation was done at I all. I think it's really obvious you did this allegedly, allegedly. <sighs> I think it's very obvious that this could not have been a suicide. Yeah. Also, it was never said, but whose gun was that? That's a really good question that I couldn't find and it was an on, answer to. It was, in, was it her boyfriend's gun in her boyfriend's car and were to believe that she went in and took it out? Because the, really the gun question. was found on top of his car. Yeah. Her car was across the street. Where did she get this gun? Right. I guess I'm just assuming it's not hers. I mean, I think they would have said if it was hers. I would have thought Maybe so. it's just not registered and they don't know whose it is. I would think that would be an important thing to find out. I don't know. I have questions. You think you would investigate that you, if they don't know whose weapon it is. You'd, you, would, you would think. But I think you would investigate this no matter what. Yeah. And that just didn't happen. So. And not just take the boyfriend's word that it was a suicide. Go to the Unsolved Mysteries, unsolved.com. Yeah. And uh, feel free to just engage in some speculation with those people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't have a name for the boyfriend, so I guess I don't have to be so cautious about it. But I, honestly, I don't know what happened. I just don't think it's a suicide at all. No. It makes and no sense that it could be a suicide. It's very frustrating to me that... Apparently, she was not valuable enough to be looked into. Yeah. That's really too bad. I, and <laughs> that, I think, is Lenny Briscoe agreeing with me in the background. Yeah, I think so. He's barking for justice. Yeah. Barks for justice. <laughs> when you don't have the porpoise for justice, you can get Lenny Briscoe exactly. and he'll bark for justice. Exactly. All right. I'm excited to talk about your next case even though it is extremely depressing it's extremely depressing so um you know brace yourself for that grab your cheesies you're gonna need that you're gonna, comfort food you sure will so this is the last love surprise surprise that's the theme of this season i would like to put out a very selfish request that if anybody feels like designing a lost love t-shirt i really want one I want a t-shirt oh, that great. says Lost Loves in the, like, Unsolved Mysteries thing where the, the stripes are behind it. You know what oh, I mean? The rainbow yeah. stripes. And it just says Lost Love. I would love to wear a t-shirt that says that. Like the, the transition yes. sort of title? Yes. Lost Loves? That we, I'm sure someone could make that happen. I would love that. I want a Lost Loves t-shirt. So this is a lost love, like we said. I wish we were wearing our lost love, t- lost loves T-shirts right now. Uh, but it is from 1924 through 1950. Georgia Tan ran the Tennessee Children's Home Society from a stately home on Poplar Avenue in Memphis, Texas. Boo! Boo! Let this just paint a picture for you, Miss Georgia Tan mm-hmm. in Memphis, Tennessee, mm-hmm. on Poplar Avenue. In a stately home, running the Tennessee Children's Home Society. Uh-huh. Is not as quaint as it seems when this mystery opens. She sure. used it as a front for an illegal foundling home and adoption agency that placed over 5,000 newborn infants and children. Foundling, I don't know if that's a word that was used in the segment, but that seems to be just when you find a child and you, <laughs> you send it to an it? orphanage. And you just take it? I think so. A foundling home? Anyway, for what? five thousand newborn infants That's and children—it's a, a word that Unsolved Mysteries Wiki used. I don't know. So yeah, well, it also told me that the guy who has the 
the wafers at the church was called a server, and then everybody <laughs> yelled at me about that. So. <laughs> so that's true. That's true. This is crowdsourced information right here. So these were for children all the way up to age 16. And she sold them to what she called high-type families in 48 states. She used manipulation, deception, pressure tactics, threats, and brute force to take children from mainly poor single mothers in a five-state area to sell to wealthy parents up until outrage, lawsuits, and complaints spurred a state investigation into her tactics and that closed her down in 1950. She's terrible. She's the worst. Protected by the infamous Edward Hall, or also known as Boss Crump. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, this is what I wanted to say about the Unsolved Mysteries wiki, is that if you want more... <laughs> That's not real. <laughs> this guy went by the That's name from, Boss Crump. That's from a cartoon. This and it's whole... a chicken. What? <laughs> that is a chicken with a southern accent. What are you talking about? I honestly think... Boss Crump <laughs> This story could be like, <laughs> like a Brothers Grimm fairy tale where Georgia Tan and Boss Crump are stealing children. They're luring them into the gingerbread house. Yeah, it really could. And then they are like, get in the oven to clean it. It's fine. But what I wanted to say about the Unsolved Mysteries wiki is that whoever wrote this Unsolved Mysteries wiki put in a lot of information that wasn't in the segment. So we're all going about to go on a journey of discovery. Yeah, I, I noticed. I know a tiny bit about this case. And I noticed that they had sort of... It's very sad. So Unsolved Mysteries was like, look, we can... We're going to skip over some of the worst details. We can details. deal with a woman literally stealing children off playgrounds and them leaving their teddy bears like behind and very sad <laughs> shots. But let's leave out the fact that a bunch of these children died. Yeah. Yep. So oh, Tan was protected by the infamous Boss Crump... <laughs> And she regularly altered and destroyed the records of children, quote, processed through her custody and did not conduct checks on the adoption homes to which she sent them. It is believed that Tan craved the wealth and power that her position and role afforded her, hopeful to eclipse her locally famous father, who was a judge in Mississippi and who had prohibited her from entering the field of law. She delivered speeches about adoption in Washington, New York, and other major cities, and was consulted by Eleanor Roosevelt regarding child welfare. Oh, Eleanor. Yes. What a mistake. <sighs> so many children died while in her care that at one point the infant mortality rate in Memphis was highest in the country, and many more deaths were never reported. That's pretty significant. Yes. That's yeah. very startling. The infant mortality rate in Memphis was the highest in the entire country. One, because of how many infants were dying in her care. did that. One woman yes. significantly increased their infant mortality and rate. And none of that was talked about in Unsolved Mysteries. So perhaps whoever wrote this, this Unsolved Mysteries I wiki article. I really think they were like, this is sad enough. But you don't get yeah. the full story at all. Here's some more uh, truth bombs. Notable celebrities such as Joan Crawford, June Allison, Dick Powell, and Smiley Burnett. Oh, yeah, Smiley Burnett. Pearl Buck used tan services as well as the parents of New York Governor Herbert Lehman. Her death prior to, pr to prosecution in 1950 led to more stringent laws on adoption in Tennessee in 1951. Fewer than 10% of these stolen children were ever reunited with their parents or siblings due to the, com to the complicated nature of local and state officials 
such as juvenile court judge Camille Kelly, who presided over about 20% of the children adopted out by Tan. It's just a complete travesty. There was also difficulty finding true and accurate documentations to ever make identification of the children. This Camille Kelly... A lot of people suspect that she was, like, in on it with George. Oh, I think so. So, but she, because you have to have a judge, like, especially if you just, I think, find a child or claim to have found a child, you have to have a judge declare that the child is now in your custody and you can adopt it out. So this Judge Kelly was most likely complicit and probably receiving some money from this baby farm business. Oh my god. Yeah, it's bad. Attorney Robert Taylor investigated Tan and her orphanage, finding that it was a front for a baby-stealing and black market adoption organization. He believed that Judge Kelly was actively involved in the cover-up, and he followed her assistant, who often flew in the middle of the night to Los Angeles to bring stolen children to their adopted families. Mm-hmm. He also discovered that, sh- that Tan had charged childless couples a fee for background checks for adoptions that would never take place. In total, she gained over $1 million from her orphanage. Which is so much money back then. Taylor presented a report to the governor on September 12, 1950. Unfortunately, Tan died of cancer just three, years, three days later. Kelly resigned two months later. As a result, the orphanage was officially shut down. Cindy Lou Presto was one of the children, quote, found by Tan and placed in her orphanage. She appears in Unsolved Mysteries. After she was adopted, she asked her parents about her birth family. They refused to tell her anything. Look, we don't want to say that we just uh, didn't purchase you you so much as bought you. Yeah. So her adoptive... Uh, mother died, and she found correspondence between her parents and Tan. A few weeks later, she learned that her birth name was Sandra Lee Bridgewater, and that her birth mother's name is Evelyn Bridgewater. They were soon reunited after 30 years. She learned that in 1947, she was abducted by Tan while playing at the park when she was just a toddler. This reenactment is heartbreaking. Yes. She and several other children were taken to Judge Kelly's courtroom. Evelyn tried to get her back, but was unsuccessful. Can you imagine... Yeah. Like, you go to court and you're like, that's my kid. Why are you adopting them to somebody else? And the judge is like, nope, sorry. Gavel. Yeah. It is insane. So two of Tan's former children, Lynn Hines and Nancy Turner, were also looking for their birth families. In 1949, Lynn was five years old when she was adopted by a wealthy California couple. All right, we're using the word adopted a little loosely here on Solved Mysteries <laughs> Wiki. When she was an adult, she learned the truth about her quote-unquote adoption and began searching for her biological family. She located her adoption certificate, which said that her birth name was Martha Jean Gookin. However, she was unable to find any other information about her family. She, Nancy, and several other children are still hoping to find their families. So if you want some more information about this case, uh, of course, it aired um, first on Unsolved Mysteries on the December 13th, 1989 episode, but it inspired the movies Missing Children, A Mother's Story, and Stolen Babies. The book Baby Thief, the untold story of Georgia Tan, the baby seller who corrupted adoption by Barbara Byzance Raymond. Can I read a whole book about that, though? Published in the US, Australia, and UK. I don't know. Like, that's... Oh, that sounds probably very heartbreaking, but I bet I bet there's so much more to the story. Oh, definitely. I mean, Joan Crawford bought a baby. I yeah. want to know just about that. That's crazy. So, uh, Tan, Georgia Tan was also profiled on Deadly Women. Oh. So maybe we could find that episode. I think Georgia Tan is in that serial killer coloring book you have. Oh, 
really? You know, you might be right. I think that she is one of your... <laughs> She's <laughs> definitely a serial killer. One of the serial killers, you can call Other her. Other cases involving black market baby selling include the children of Ethan Nation, the family of Joel Joe Soul, and the parents of Gail Samuels. Hmm. Sad. So soon after the broadcast, Lynn got in contact with an organization that helps children from the Tennessee Children's Home Society find their families. One of the organization's members was able to locate Lynn's birth announcement. Within a few days, she had found Lynn's birth family. Three weeks later, she was reunited with her father and two half-brothers, Paul and Randall. This was really sweet. It was really sweet. On January 1990, thanks to the broadcast, Nancy was also able to locate and reunite with her sister, Evelyn Routh, after 40 years. Alma Sipple, a woman whose daughter Irma was taken by Tan in 1946, saw the broadcast and contacted the telecenter asking for help locating her. Seven months later, they were joyfully reunited. So some people were actually reunited uh, thanks to Unsolved Mysteries. The woman that they show that meets up with her brothers, I'm not sure I've ever seen someone look so happy. Oh my gosh, it was so sweet. Her talking about... She was like, well, I wasn't sure that they would want to meet me. And then, of course, they did. Yeah. And she was just so overwhelmed with joy and could you just imagine finding out that you were that that you were stolen from a family that actually wanted you (sighs) and then sold to another family and the family you were sold to probably in all likelihood raised you like a normal family would you probably loved them and then you found out that they bought you from a black market baby seller? I wonder how much different families knew about how shady the adoption was. I think a lot of people didn't. I think people, because she won awards and was like talking to Eleanor Roosevelt. I bet people thought they were legitimately adopting. Some people thought they were legitimately adopting a child. I bet most people did. Yeah. Only to find out later. In Unsolved Mysteries, they showed her basically bringing a bunch of babies like on, because she wouldn't sell, most of them she would not sell around Tennessee. Like she knew enough to like go to different states. Because she would just, people would like be like, hey, that's my kid. Right, exactly. So she moved them all around. So she would bring a bunch of babies and like meet up with them in a hotel and she would meet the family who's buying the baby in the hotel lobby, sell them a baby, go upstairs, get another one, come back down, sell it to another family. That was insane. Yeah, craziness. So I looked it up. There is an episode of Southern Mysteries about this. It was the first time I had heard about it. It's episode four. It's called Georgia Tan's Children. Southern Mysteries is a podcast that we love dearly. Yeah, this is a really good episode. It's really well done. I would recommend listening to that. It's half an hour. It'll give you some more in-depth information if you can't bring yourself to read an entire book. Book about it. About yeah, the very... book sounds pretty depressing. I might the watch baby one of the movies. Thief, the untold story of Georgia Tan, the baby seller who corrupted adoption. I, I mean, yeah, she really did. She did. I think people, after this happened, were like quite afraid to adopt children. Yeah. Certainly in that area, they were. Yeah. I mean, Because they might be stolen. The reenactment where she stole that kid from the park, she was just like playing with her teddy bear and on a blanket, and then this car pulls up and this black sedan pulls up and is like, "Want to ride in this fancy car?" And the kid's like, "Okay, yeah, totally." This grandma is sitting in the back seat. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a huge part of this is because people just wouldn't have looked at her as an evil person, right? And which is something they talk about in that book killer women that we just don't want to think of women as being capable of these horrible things no especially not a grandma looking yeah nobody was gonna look at that old lady and be like we can't trust her with babies but so many of those kids died so many which makes me go you're not good at selling babies 
Yeah, if they're all dying. <laughs> like, what the fuck, Georgia Tan? <laughs> it's one thing to steal babies. Why are these babies dying? I think she had such an abundant supply. Yeah, she just didn't really care. It really didn't matter if a couple it's of them It's just like died. inventory to her. And I know, so Ugh. in that in that book, Killer Women, they did talk about baby farms briefly. And like, I don't know if this was the case with Georgia Tan, but people were making money off of just taking the babies. Oh. So like people would like okay. pay money for you to take their baby or whatever. <laughs> and then you didn't really need to sell it to someone else. If it died, you still made money off of it. I mean, this is horrible. Oh. Yeah. Baby farms are just a terrible topic. Guess what? We're not in favor of baby farms. <laughs> What's good is that this has no parallels to anything going on today. Thank God. We live in a better time. We're not keeping babies in cages. No. We're not selling them. We're not separating children from their parents and using that as blackmail to get an unnecessary border wall. I'm so thankful we live in a modern society. Yeah. And we've really learned from the past. We sure have. It's mm-hmm. great. All so right. I'm glad we kept politics out of that. And <laughs> I, again, how can you? I don't no. We're literally talking about stealing children, which is like all I can think about. I know is that we live in the end times. I don't. God damn it! All right. Do you have another mystery <laughs> to talk about? I have a wanted. I'm gonna tell you right now that this starts off boring, but then has a spectacular twist. Yes. You will not see the twist of this coming. Also, this has my pick for MVM. I'm calling it the shelf. <laughs> I remember that mustache. It's almost a perfect triangle. Yes, I do remember I that. I would have called it the lip curtain, but that was taken. You so know. it turned into the shelf. The shelf. This one up here, this was called the standard. This was just a regular cop mustache. <laughs> anyway, this is the case of Donald Eugene Webb, who was wanted back in the day. Back in the day. Back in, the day. <laughs> back in let's see, where we're, where are we going here? So, it was December 4th, 1980, around 3 p.m. in Saxonburg, Pennsylvania. A teenager heard the sounds of gunfire and a fight coming from outside, uh, which was weird because this is just like a sleepy little town. So, he went to tell his mom, hey, mom, I think I just heard gunfire. And she was like, don't even joke about that. <laughs> which is such a, like, realistic mom, mom response. And she, he, the kid was like, no, I'm serious. So the mom went outside and found a severely injured Greg Adams, who was a police officer, in some nearby bushes. He had been shot and asked her to summon help, but he clearly knew that he was dying. And when she asked who attacked him, he said that he didn't know the assailant. And when she looked up, she saw a white car driving away from the scene, but... She couldn't really get a good look at it, and she didn't have any more information than that. So Greg was taken to the hospital, and he died soon after. He left behind a wife and two children. And the community, because it was small and tight-knit, was, like, very up in arms about this. It was determined that Greg had been shot during a routine traffic stop, and they found a driver's license at the scene. However, when they tracked down the name on the driver's license, which was Stanley Don Portis, they found that that person had been dead for, like, 40 years. Yes. So, and they found um, the gun that was used to kill him at the scene, but there was no serial number on it. So, when they found out that this Portis guy had actually died in 1948, uh, they discovered that he had left behind a widow. And when they contacted her, she had since remarried, and her husband's name was Donald Eugene Webb. And they realized that he had actually taken over Portis's identity. Webb was a member of the Fall River Gang, 
and he would rob stores and homes on the East Coast. And they did a reenactment of him, and he just looked like an, I don't know, middle-aged, yep. middle-class white guy uh, going to a jewelry store and then saying, like, I'm in the market to buy a beautiful lady, a beautiful ring. Uh, what can you show me? And then he would, you know, like, case out the joint. And nobody suspected him because they judged him based on his very bland appearance. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, yep. <laughs> um, so police believe that the day before the shooting, Webb and an accomplice went to that that jewelry store to case it um and then the next day when greg adams was on parole i think webb ran a stop sign it was just like a totally normal traffic stop um and when he walked up to the car he ended up being he then blocked the vehicle from answering the parking lot he approached the vehicle from the front and asked to see webb's driver's license it is believed he then realized that the license was fake and was shot twice by web um they struggled with each other and somehow ended up in the neighbor's bushes um greg tried to shoot web but was unsuccessful uh, then web beat greg over the head with his own gun not great not great so he was laid to rest at a funeral where like hundreds of officers came from all over the state and Saxonburg put up a monument to memorialize him which i think is nice so they were hoping that one day donald eugene webb would who was on the run would be caught so this is the wanted is let's find let's find this guy yes bring him to justice straightforward yeah very straightforward case he was on the fbi's most wanted list he was number one for a while he was i think like one of the people that was on the fbi's most wanted was like for the longest period of time oh so interesting this is solved in 1990 the fbi director received a hand-lettered letter from someone claiming to be webb it is unknown if that was a hoax or not. In 2005, a man was discovered using Webb's name and social security number. However, it was later determined that that man had stolen Webb's identity. <laughs> Bad idea yes. to steal the identity of someone on the FBI's most yes. wanted list. Not a great Whoops. plan. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Webb still eluded capture for three more decades and was eventually removed from the three list. Three decades? Eventually removed from the list in 2007. Yeah, he was on the list longer than any other fugitive before Victor Guerrera, who surpassed his record in 2010. Then, in June 2017, so be glad we're making this podcast now. This is when things get weird. (laughs) Investigators announced that they found a secret room in the home of Lillian Webb, who had been Donald Webb's wife. What? They suspected he may have hidden there after the murder. In July 2017, a search began of the backyard property. It was announced that human moraines were found in the backyard. What? In July 14th, it was officially announced that the remains in the backyard belonged to Donald Eugene Webb, and he had lightly been dead since 1999. Who killed him? His wife? No. He had a stroke. Oh, and she just buried him in the backyard? She, he had been hiding in the house for three decades. <laughs> So what happened was... Oh, my God. <laughs> That's insane. So that information came from Unsolved Mysteries Wiki. I did a little bit more research reading an article from the Boston Globe called Fugitive Told Wife to Bury Him in Backyard When He Died. <laughs> a longtime fugitive whose remains were recently dug up from the Dartmouth backyard of his former wife had instructed her to bury his body there when he died in 1997 when he was on the run for allegedly murdering a Pennsylvania police officer in 1980. 
So basically, uh, they found out from Webb that after that incident, he went to a hospital, checked in under a fake name, and was treated for his injuries from that fight, and somehow no one found him. Oh. Uh, after the discharge, he just went home. <laughs> he just and, lived in a secret room? Well, the thing is, the secret room is like the size of a shower. Oh. So I think he only hid there, like, if the police came or something, and then okay. otherwise just stayed inside. Because, yeah, the police had to have come. They knew yeah. who his wife was. Yeah. That's crazy. They only found this out because Eugene, there, or maybe it's just Lillian's son. Lillian's son was suspected of illegal gambling. So they got a warrant to search the house. Oh. And they find this room. <laughs> and then Lillian is like, no, that's like my panic room. Okay. Okay. And they're like, why is there a cane in here? You don't use a cane. And she was like, yeah, I don't know how that got there. Why are there all these boxes of silver coins that seem like something donald eugene webb stole in this room (laughs) and she was like yeah i don't know so then they got a warrant oh my god to dig up the yard found his body and real found out that he had died years earlier of a stroke and he had been living in the house he just told her to bury him there oh my god which i find hilarious that she like at some point had this old lady had to like go out and dig a grave and none of her neighbors noticed She's like taking your grave. <laughs> what I also thought was weird was, so I was like, so what happened to Lillian? Yeah. Right? She was 83 by the time this came out. And she received Im- immunity in exchange for her cooperation. Okay, except that she is like claiming she wasn't hiding him. This- she's not very cooperative. No. <laughs> she's claiming it's a panic room. She's claiming like, I don't know. Anyway. Oh my God. I can't believe he was living right there the whole... Did no one ever, like, case his house? Like, camp out outside I'm for a while? I'm guessing he just didn't leave. He literally stayed inside. Oh, my God. Three decades. For three decades. This craziness. Which is extra funny to me because I always make fun of this episode of Law & Order SBU, where it turns out this waterbed salesman has been just <laughs> staying in, in an apartment for 30 years. And he's, like, been disfigured in this accident. And the makeup that they do is just terrible. So this, like, melted lava man comes to the door and is like, well, it's me. I've been here for three decades. And I was like, there's no way that could happen. I still maintain that in a New York apartment building, that's impossible. You can't hide for three decades by just staying inside a busy building. However, apparently, you can just stay in a house in Pennsylvania and eventually your wife... We'll just bury you in the We'll just bury you after you have a stroke. Oh, my God. So that was a very boring Unsolved Mysteries case, but it turns out to be this totally fascinating story. Wow. I'm so impressed. So he was in his mid-60s when he died. He sort of got away with it, but he sort of just, like, made his own jail. Kind of, yeah. Particularly if he had to spend a lot of time in that shower. It's (laughs) like they made a room smaller than a jail cell. (laughs) And then just lived in that. Yeah. That's crazy. They also mentioned that she had 43 photos of him around the house. What? I don't know if that's like hanging up or like literally she owned 43 photos of him. Okay. But I want to picture it as like they're, they're hanging up. They're all framed. Because at some point, you know, after he died, she divorces him in like 2005 or something because she knows he's dead. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. Should we rate this episode? Yes, please. Mysteriousness is our first category. It's not incredibly mysterious. Not really uh why wasn't uh that non-suicide investigated better that's, that's a, mis- a mystery that's a mystery 
That, how did Georgia Tan get away with selling all these babies? Yeah, that's kind of a mystery. Kind of. The saddest mystery. Yep. I am like a thumbs down on mysterious. Yeah, it's really not that mysterious. That's not the reason to watch it. No. What did you think of the reenactments? Uh, pretty good. The, the non-suicide reenactments are spooky. I love that you're referring to it as the non-suicide. The non- you know that non- It was changed. It is no longer a rule to suicide. It was undetermined. So. The yep. undetermined death case. Yes. Uh, those had some spooky, atmospheric, very unsolved true, mysteries. True. I really like the reenactments of at the gold mine. The yeah. gold mine. Yeah. The them holding up that fake pyramid. You get to see the the con artist like running around like, look at this dirt. We're growing gold here, right in this ground. It's pretty <laughs> great. And I do like that they included the furniture commercial i don't know if that was a reenactment or the real commercial but i think it was the real commercial so yeah i guess i'm like a shaky thumbs up yeah it's like an almost thumbs up yeah what did you think of the fashion it's pretty unremarkable yeah um i wrote down that someone named marianne in my last mystery had some great earrings but other than that i didn't really even notice anything yeah so i'm a thumbs down and robert stack did he even show up much in this he was, episode? he was barely here so i don't even know what to say about him no he just that's a like na yeah, NA for I would fill out the form NA on that one. Yep, probably. Now, we can rate this uh, one to five Robert Stacks. I would give it a four. You're that high? Yeah. I, you know, I do like this episode. I I almost didn't like this last case until I was like boring, until I looked at this yeah. one more. Does Unsolved Mysteries get credit for that? Not really, but I don't care. Uh, the Georgia Tan case is so fascinating and so weird. Yes. I don't appreciate it that they kind of try to cheer it up yeah we got like the hallmark card they never, version i don't know if they ever once talked about any of the babies dying no they just focused in on the, the stealing so but i think i'm a, i'm a, i'm a with you on a four i like this one i think this is good particularly from this season yeah is, the season as a whole has been i don't know that i'm gonna sit great. anyone down and force them to watch it but i think the cases are good <laughs> That's our criteria for it being a five. It yeah. goes from a four to a five when we're making people watch when we're it. We're like, you're coming to my house and you're watching this right now. That's <laughs> when it's a five. Yes. And I think we have a certain crop circle mystery coming up. I'm real excited for that one. I don't think that's next, but it's coming up in the season. I wasn't yeah. sure if it was in this season or season three, no, but it is in, in this it one. It is in this season. So I'm really looking forward to it. So that's, I mean, I guess I can't rate it yet, but. That's the sort of thing that I would make people watch. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm excited. So that's it for today's episode. Um, you I got feel, a recommendation for us, I'm sure. I feel good getting that off off our chest. Me too. Feel a little sense of relief now. Yep. My recommendation is something I kind of can't believe I haven't recommended yet. Oh, okay. But also something that I kind of feel like maybe everybody already knows about. All right. You know what I mean? Like wet and wild makeup. <laughs> yeah. You know. I, that was about a specific collection. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. No, it really wasn't. Uh, my recommendation, speaking of things I force people to watch, is the TV show Wallander. I am, I guess, I'm surprised you haven't recommended because this Because I nag people to watch <laughs> the show all the time. And I sort of always assume everybody's already seen it, and that's not really true. I have not watched a single episode. It's so good and i'm bringing it up now because i finally succeeded in getting our resident history nerd rochelle man you've been trying for like a year i've been nagging her for a year saying you would love the show does she love it yes (laughs) because i know what i'm talking about (laughs) and it's really that damn good it's based on a series of very popular swedish books but it's made by the bbc it's filmed in sweden 
it is fucking beautiful. My main complaint with the show is that you will want to go to Sweden. <laughs> Every time I watch it, I go, why aren't I in Sweden right now? It looks great. When I was reading the Wikipedia entry for this show, just to make sure I didn't say anything stupid, it mentioned that the show had a noticeable impact on <laughs> Swedish tourism. tourism. And I believe it because it looks amazing. The lead actor playing Wallander is fucking Kenneth Branagh. So that tells you the caliber of acting sure. that you are expecting. The stories are really good. It's shot so well. It's just everything about it is flawless. It's so, so well done. I can't really recommend it more. And the premise of the show is? Is just a dude solving mysteries in Sweden. Oh, okay. Yeah. He is not a brilliant detective, and he's not a bumbling detective. He's just a guy who drinks too much wine and won't give up on mysteries. And he doesn't have some sort of shtick? In no! American mystery shows, you have to, like, be a mathematician. Yeah, or... I like that it has none of that. I was saying on Facebook once that one of my goals in life was to make everyone watch this show. <laughs> I might have to give it a try. Other goals included leaving behind a great estate sale when I die. Sure, sure. And a friend of mine from college commented, yeah, I watched that show a while ago, not because you told me to, and it was just a fancy law and order. Like, I don't get what the big deal is. <laughs> if you don't understand... <laughs> Liz is so offended. ...why I would want to watch a quote-unquote fancy law and order... <laughs> Where the underlying message is that life is suffering, the unfriend button's right there. <laughs> Clearly, you don't know me at all. I don't know why we're even pretending. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It does have this, like, sort of underlying existential angst that I feel like really brings it all home. Oh, my God. Yeah. I couldn't say nicer things about it, really. So, if you're in the U.S., that is on Netflix. You can watch all of them. I have not brought myself to watch the last one. First of all, because there'll be no more. But also, oh, really? yeah, it's done. Sad. They wrapped up a couple of years ago. And there's it's it's one of those BBC things where you only get a couple episodes. Okay, right. A season, which makes sense. They're like an hour and a half long. They start Kenneth Branagh, right? Like, sure. Not going to make 20 of those <laughs> a season. Sure. You only get two or three. There's all, I haven't watched the last one. And I also just know that it's going to be really, really sad. And I can't really bring myself to do it. But I've rewatched multiple episodes of it. And it never gets old. Yeah. They're still so good. And he'll solve those crimes and he will drink that wine and he will be sad about it. And I love it. Also, side note, Kenneth Branagh has no lips. Okay. Now that's all anyone's going to notice when they're watching this show. That's all I notice. (laughs) Come into my world. He's like a Muppet. There's just a line there where a mouth should be. I love it. Everybody watch Wallander. It might be the best television ever. I don't know. Watch the show. And when you're done watching Wallander, I have a podcast recommendation okay. for you. I cannot believe I haven't recommended this podcast yet. These are, this is our episode of I can't, How Did I Not Bring This Up Sooner yeah. recommendations. Be, but probably because most of you are already listening to it. It's a very popular podcast. But if you are not listening to In the Dark, what are you doing with your life? This season is so Wasting my time. Good. Last season, I think they won awards for the last season where they, they did the case of Jacob Wetterling, which is a famous kidnapping murder in minnesota and they did an incredible job you definitely have to listen to that season but they are currently in the middle of a season right now season two and they're releasing one episode a week comes out on tuesdays or monday night i'm not really sure i usually listen to it on tuesdays there's two episodes left it is so good i cannot believe the amount 
of work that went into this. These people, first of all, they're just great reporters. I don't, I don't know that anyone puts more work into their podcast than we do, Samantha. These people moved to Mississippi and lived there for a year yeah. and reported on this yeah, case. Yeah, we would do that. It's insane. And I didn't think that they could do... Okay, Serial Season 2 is my example of a podcast season one that is amazing. And I did like Serial Season 2. Don't get me wrong. I don't have like strong negative feelings about it like some people do. But it is definitely no Serial Season 1. I feel like they are outdoing themselves in Season 2. Really? It's so good. It's the case of Curtis Flowers. He is a man who, I'm just going to oh. say it, was wrongfully convicted of murdering yes. four people in Mississippi. I've heard about this. And he's been tried six times. It's un- And he absolutely did not do it. And I can say that because the amount of investigative work that they have done is mind-boggling. And it's one of those shows that will, like, blow your mind, but also make you really, really angry. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. the system is just messed up. It's completely Uh, corrupt. Samantha, don't you know that the system works perfectly and that's why we have unsolved (laughs) crimes? Yes, exactly. I don't know why you would question it. Exactly. It's just, it's crazy. And the reporters, they go and they, like, spend a year going through books of handwritten jury logs to find out how many white people were on these juries versus how many black people, for instance. Sure. And they have, like, published all of their data online. It's insane. Each episode, like, gets more and more intense as far as what they're revealing. We have two episodes left, and I think, based on the previews, that it's going to be just amazing. And so um, in the last episode, they went to some political rally, which is like ostensibly a political rally, but is actually a fundraiser for white people to send their kids to all white private schools that were created right after schools were integrated. Yeah. Um, Oh, yes. This still exists today. And they asked someone who was there, who was a prominent figure, either in the community or in politics, if this was a segregationist rally. And he said, no, it's not a segregationist rally. For instance, last year, we brought in some inmates from the local prison to sing for us. And everyone loved it. And so, no, we're not racist. Oh, my God. It's insane. It's so insane. But also they just they interview so many people who are involved with this and they do it in a way where they really like and it's they do it on both like they talk about the victims, they interview the victims' families, who of course think that this guy is guilty. And they do it in a way that's very respectful and I think really highlights the pain and suffering that these people have gone through too, because these people have also suffered through six trials. Sure. Hoping that their families what will get a waste justice. Of resources, six trials. I know. And I just found out today that on Twitter that this podcast has spurred uh um, campaign to recall because the reason that the district attorney is still trying these cases is because he gets reelected every year. Oh, because it's a elected position, right? And there's like a campaign to recall him, and I really hope it's successful because he's awful. Yes. Did you see? This is not really related, but is a recall that the judge from the Brock Turner case got, got recalled. Yes, which is very rare for a judge to get recalled. And amazing, and I. I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. Because he's a garbage human. Yep. That's amazing. So hope, he, hope he falls in a well. Yes. Um, along with this guy. You guys have to listen to this podcast. It's it so good. really good. It's so good. And I've, it's one of those podcasts, and I don't have that many. Despite how many podcasts I listen to, there's not a ton where I like have to listen to it immediately when it comes out. And I'm listening to it when I wake up Tuesday morning, getting ready for work, because I love it so much. And they did such a good job on the Jacob Wetterling case, which is a case that everyone in Minnesota knows. Like, we grew up. 
Like, the reason that kids in Minnesota remember not being able to play outside after dark at some point was because of the Jacob Wetterling case. Yeah, it really had an impact on everyone's life. Yeah, it really did. So, do you think we should move to Point Pleasant to research Mothman? Yeah, because I saw on one of my gardening groups on Facebook that they have an amazing garden center there. So not only is there a Mothman festival, but they have this amazing garden center that I need to go to, I'm pretty sure. I mean, maybe we could just go for a year, investigate Mothman. We'd have to go to Chicago, because he's not in Point Pleasant anymore. Oh, okay, we'll do a year. you already lived in Chicago. We'll do a year in Point Pleasant (laughs) for the background. Then we'll go to Chicago, I guess, for him now. Okay, yeah. Assuming he'll still be there. Find Mothman. Yeah. So get those Patreon dollars then, because we, we need our million dollar subscribers. Between this and the Capybara Ranch and we that big plans, that naming rights mountain thing we talked about once. <laughs> How uh, many things have we talked about doing with our podcast? I don't know. We got a long ways to go before we could do any of them. But well, we are going to send you some stickers. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Do we have anything else? I don't think so. Let's plug our shit. So follow us on social media. We're at Perhaps It's You, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Send us your paranormal tales. We're getting a few uh, listener stories trickling in. We want to do a season two finale similar to our season one finale where we tell listener stories. So we need your listener stories. So if you saw a ghost, saw an alien. Saw Mothman. Saw Mothman. You need definitely to send us your story if you saw Mothman. Yeah. Yep. That's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. Go to patreon.com slash perhaps it's you and subscribe. You will get a bonus episode this month. You'll get access to our catalog of bonus episodes. You'll get some awesome stickers. Check out Instagram or any of our social media platforms to see what the stickers look like. You will love them. I promise. You should rate us five stars on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Thingamajig. The five star reviews really help us out. We really appreciate it. We really love everyone who is rated and reviewed. Most and... most everyone who's rated and reviewed. <laughs> and we only accept five star reviews. We so do. keep that in mind. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes. I think that's everything. That's it. Go solve some mysteries, bitches. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>